All right, we'll go ahead. If you grab a seat, we'll go ahead and get started here. We will continue to uh, put uh, pins in the map here just as we kind of take a look at what sides of town people are coming from and, and what different uh, demographics we have represented here. So um, anyways, appreciate your help on that. Um, I just want to, uh, you know, on behalf of the Firehouse Church, welcome you here again. Happy Mother's Day to you. Thanks for joining us on this special morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll jump into what we want to talk about. Really, we have two things we're going to talk about this morning. One is um, just uh, my hope is that we'll encourage moms. We've been doing a series of on uh, characters in the Old Testament here. And this morning we're going to look at a mom here that I think you'll find her example pretty encouraging to you as moms, to, to women in general, and actually to everybody. But uh, she, she was indeed a mom. So, um, And then we're also going to take a little bit of time to talk about vision and where we um, see God taking us here. So we, we kind of have two worlds coming together here, and uh, hopefully you'll be blessed by both of them. But uh, I'm going to pray again, and we'll jump in. Well, Father, we do just thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us together here, for meeting with us. Lord, we thank you for all the moms in our midst here and all the moms even represented, all the moms that you have given us uh, in our lives, throughout our lives, those who are with us and those who are not. Lord, we just thank you for um, the gifts that you've given each of us for, for our moms, Lord. And um, God, I pray that through this message here, as we look an example, at an example here of... Um, the life of Sarah, that you would encourage every mom who is here, and, and you would encourage us all with her example of faith to us. And uh, God, I pray you'd also use this time to give us a, a little insight into where you might want to take us as a church and the faith required for that. And, and we'll, really, we just look to you this morning to, to redeem our few minutes together, and we pray for all this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well... Um, Let's see, before we get started, I do have, I have one and only one joke for you this morning, so uh, enjoy it while you can, get, get your hearts ready, make sure you don't miss it. Um, but there's a, it's a Mother's Day joke, but it kind of relates to Father's Day as well, you know, kind of there are one-two punch here in May and June, Mother's Day, Father's Day, but uh, uh, a young man, a boy was asked once um, to describe Father's Day, and his description was this, he said, it's, it's a lot like Mother's Day, except you don't have to spend as much on the gifts. It's a lot like Father's Day, a lot like Mother's Day, except Mother's Day costs a little more. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen. yes, it, it better, right, Dad? Okay. But um, anyways, uh, we're, we're going to look at, you know, again, we're going to look at a, a character from the Old Testament here that uh, is uh, maybe, I don't know, you might not think of her when it comes to who's a great example of a mom from the Old Testament here. And so we're going to look at her story, really just going to look at three examples, three slices of life from Sarah, from the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah. And, um, and then we're going to shift gears from there. But I think um, I found her, her example to be encouraging to me. Uh, also, as I was trying to think about you moms and our miss, I think her example will be hopefully encouraging to you as well. And even if you're not a mom, I, I would hope the same here. But we'll take a look at um, Sarah here. And we're going to start in Genesis 18. So I'm just going to read a passage from Genesis 18 here. And um, we'll just, it's right, uh, you can just listen on in here. Um, Genesis 18, 9 through uh, 15 here. 
And it just says this. Again, here's a slice of life, a couple different strokes. We're going to kind of give you a, a look at the life of Sarah. And uh, so Abraham was talking to um, the Lord at the time here, and he says, Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There was three visitors, I think, representing the Trinity, talking to uh, Abraham here. But he, they say, uh, Where is your wife? There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which, um, which was behind him. Sarah and Abraham were already old and well advanced in years. Sarah was well past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, I'm worn out and my master is old, and will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. So there's a little snapshot of, of Sarah, our example of a mom here, our example of faith. And so um, we're just going to take a look at a few things we can draw out of this one snapshot here. Um, you know, and the first thing I, I'd just like to throw out there for you, if you are a mom, if you're thinking about becoming a mom, if you were a mom, I don't know. Um, but the thought is just this, it, it often takes faith just to become a mom. It often takes faith just to become a mom. There's several different reasons related to that, different angles that might require faith, and we'll talk about those. Um, but you know, Sarah, the first thing she did, her example to us that we're going to look at is just that Sarah laughed. She heard this idea, and, and she just laughed. And so, um, you know, in some ways we can go, well, what's, what's the big deal? Was it a problem that she laughed? Sorry, my graphic there is hiding part of the next phrase there, but uh, not the whole thing. But you know, is it a, was it a problem that she laughed? Did she laugh because she lacked faith or she didn't have character? Or why did she laugh? You know, is laughing when God tells you something a bad thing? And, you know, I think throughout the, the Bible you see examples where someone laughed and it was a bad thing, and other times where they laughed and it wasn't a bad thing. But sometimes I think Sarah gets a bad rap for laughing. The Lord said, hey, by the way, by this time next year, you're 90, Sometime in this next year, you're going to have a baby. And, and, and she laughed, you know. And, so, and it kind of seems like she got in trouble here. But I kind of wonder why, why she's the bad guy. If you rewind just one chapter and you look at Abraham, Abraham was given the same information. Here in uh, Genesis 17, it says, um, this was before that encounter where, where Sarah was listening in. It was just God talking to Abraham. And God also said to Abraham, as far as... Um, as for Sarai, your wife, this was before her name changed. Well, here you go. You, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and surely give, her a, give you a son by her. I will bless her that, so that she will be the mother of all of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, um, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. 
you know, which means he laughs. But So here's this whole thing where Sarah, she hears this news, she's going to have a baby at 90, she laughs, and it kind of seems like she gets in trouble. There's this other scene where Abraham hears the same news, and it says he falls down laughing, you know, and he doesn't seem to get in trouble at all. And I'm kind of like, what's going on here? You know, um, one thing I also noticed... Um, some of you moms, some of you are maybe more high-tech moms than other. How many moms here like texting, Facebook, things like that? Yeah, a few of you. My wife better raise her hand. Yes. Um, you know, so I'm still getting up to speed on my technology, but you know there's all those um, what are acronyms out there for abbreviated ways of saying things, right? LOL. You know what LOL means, anyone? The laughing online, right? Um, that's um, I got that one figured out. Um, no, that one's laughing out loud, right? Um, there's another one. Uh, what's that? Leave off losers. Leave off losers. Uh, uh, BTW. I know that one. By the way, right? Then you heard about the mom who was trying to figure out the IDK. You know, she was trying to go, I'm learning about this technology here, trying to, she, she texted a bunch of her friends, you know, what does IDK mean? And she just kept getting the same response over and over again. Finally, she texted back one of her friends, uh, this is so funny, everyone keeps giving me the same answer. I don't know. Um, okay, yeah, it's terrible. All right, IDK, if you didn't know that one. I thought that Abraham actually would have invented, this is a new term you can use, try this out sometimes when something is really funny. I think FOF, falling on face laughing. I think that's a new, uh, new thing we could try out here. FOF. See if that works. Um, but anyways, that's what Abraham did. He was falling. He fell down laughing at this idea. And, you know, no one points the finger at him. And boy, what a terrible person. And what, you know, little faith he had. But somehow... Sarah got the bad rap here, and um, I, I think one of the reasons why was that, you know, it's not only that she laughed, but she also lied. You know, she, she did laugh, and maybe she thought it was hilarious to think about a 90-year-old and her 100-year-old husband, and, you know, like uh, Ned alluded to, you know, we know the way babies happen, and uh, 90 year olds and 100, this would, maybe she just thought this would be laughable, you know, um, we'll see. Um, we also have another class Ned did not announce. There's to have and to hold class. The next one after that, when you do have babies, is the to hold and to spank class. That starts up here. Uh, that's starting next month. So uh, anyway, no. We, uh, we don't actually have that class. Sorry, we, we're working on it. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, so one of the points I just want to draw, us here, draw out is just... Um, we need to be honest about where you're at in your face. She laughed. You know, I don't think if she would have said, Lord, I did laugh, it is kind of just hilarious to think about, isn't it? He might have just said, yeah, you're right, it is. But instead she said, no, no, I didn't laugh. Um, and the Lord said, yeah, you did. I, I kind of know everything all the time, everywhere. You did laugh. And so, um, but, you know, as it relates to our lives, as some of you as moms are thinking about becoming moms, there's all sorts of reasons you might need to apply faith here. Um, some might be, you know, biologically. She was in a situation here, 90 years old. The chances that she had not had a baby up until that point, chances of having a baby at that time would just biologically pretty improbable, I would say, physically speaking as well. That might be, but some of you might find yourself in that situation as well, trying to go, you know, we would like to have kids, and it just does not seem like that is happening. So, so naturally, you know, as they say, it's supposed to here. Another thing to be thinking about, you might be going, I want to become a mom. I want, I'm married, I want to have kids, and yet my finances just seem, it, it's laughable to think that we will be having a kid anytime soon because to add extra expenses, maybe take away an 
income, that's just probably not going to be happening. And you might have to apply faith to that. Um, I've, I've found it interesting sometimes as a pastor over the last 14 years, when couples get married, they have sometimes they have a plan. You know, Some of them are like, we're going to get married, and like in 1.5 years, we're going to have our first baby, and then after that, we're going to... And, and sometimes the people have everything all planned out. You find... God doesn't necessarily operate by our plans, you know. It's just a, it's a document that gives God great laughter, I think, sometimes, you know. Um, but, and other people go, you know, here's the deal. We're not having kids. We're not even thinking about kids uh, for like 10 years, you know. And the next thing you know, they're pregnant, right? And uh, uh, either way, either one of those scenarios going to probably put someone in faith if you're not planning on being in that situation or if you really are planning on it and, and God's not you know, buying that plan. It's going to require faith. Um, I think for some, some of you, some moms, it's going to require faith to become a mom and do the work of a mom, especially with what's going on socially and culturally in this world. To, to be a mom, even a mom who would stay at home, who would leave a job, is really something that's not, uh, it's not rewarded in this culture. You know, people, the culture rewards moms who do both, who they have a job outside the home and they're a mom as well, and, and they... They praise that in the movies and in music and in books and all sorts of places. But to be a mom who focuses on, on just being fully devoted to raising kids is not something that's celebrated in this culture. And it's going to take faith if you should choose to step into that world. And so, um, But the point is, in, in all of this is that uh, it's, it's probably going to take faith. And um, there might be some things, you know, um, really the Lord ended up... She laughed, Sarah laughed, and it was kind of like, you know, boy, this is the possibility of this happening is laughable, maybe. Um, but he went on in, in some ways to maybe gently correct her. And, and he said this to her, and this might apply to you. Uh, if you're thinking about being a mom, this would apply to you, even if you're not thinking about being a mom. You're facing something, and, and the Lord might want to say to you this morning, um, is anything too difficult for the Lord? He might want to say to you, is there anything too difficult for me in your life? And, um, you know, sometimes... You wonder why did he just why did he ask that question? In the Old Testament, this question comes up a couple times like, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? He could have just said, you know, Sarah, nothing's too difficult for me. Let's do this thing. But he, but he threw it out there as a question. Kind of rhetorical, but I think more than rhetorical, it's a very personal question. Because you see, your answer to this question will directly impact the results you get. He could have said, hey, uh, nothing's too difficult for me. But instead he said to Sarah and to you and I, um, is, this difficult? is this too difficult for your Lord? Because if, if you believe that, you know, Jesus said at one point, uh, a number of times in the New Testament, He said, um, according to your faith, it will be done for you. You think this is too difficult for your Lord? Well, guess what? God's going to meet you right in the middle of that. And so this question, whatever situation you're facing, do you think, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And your answer is probably going to impact the results that will come out of your situation, just like it, it did in Sarah's here. Um, we're going to look at another section about Sarah here. You know, the reality is, um, why did she laugh? You know, I think there's two main reasons of why she might have laughed. One is that it was just pretty hilarious to think about that happening naturally. It just, life does not happen naturally that... 90-year-old has uh, a baby with a 100-year-old husband. You know, that is, it is kind of funny. But, you know, the other thing that might have been going, maybe she was just laughing like that, kind of like, this is just funny to think about. But the other thing is, she might have, she might have just had a temporary lapse in faith, a temporary lapse in, in who she was normally. And she just thought, okay, Lord, I've trusted you for a lot of things, but this is just crazy. And, um, and then, you know, she went on with life, but... 
The interesting thing about Sarah is that she is mentioned in the New Testament several times. And she's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. We know that's the Faith Hall of Fame. There's only two women mentioned from the Old Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. And Sarah is one of those women. Sarah is also mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 3 about a, a godly woman, a woman of character who trusted God. And... Um, not a lot of women from the Old Testament were mentioned like that, but she is. And so, I wonder if this thing, when she laughed or when she doubted at the time, was an exception to her character. It was kind of a lapse in what she normally thought about God's capabilities. And uh, I think the Scriptures would prove that's true. But, um, you know, eventually I think she must have repented. She must have had a change of heart or something. But um, one of the points I just want to make off of this is just... Moms, you know, trusting God allows you to smile at the future. I don't know what's going on in your world, um, but Sarah was able to smile at the future. There's another passage here that said she, she laughed at um, what was going on in, after the fact, after she had a baby. She was still smiling at the future here. Um, it, it mentions her here. Another place, uh, we know that in Proverbs 31, often we share on Mother's Day that the woman described in Proverbs 31 is the description of a mom. A lot of godly characteristics about a woman, but eventually it says, even her children rise and call her blessed. It's describing a mom. And, you know, I, I almost wonder if it would have been accurately describing Sarah and her life and her character. And, and in the Proverbs, the writer is thinking about those examples from the past and, and maybe he thought of, of her and, and her record there. But when you're trusting God, you can, uh, you can smile at the future. You know, I think there's a couple options when you face the future. Um, one is uh, smiling, but not in a good sort of way. I think of like laughing hysterically. I think a mom that's like a laughing hyena looking at the future going, Whoa, you know, this is, this is crazy. Um, there could be that type of smiling at the future. There's, uh, there's the other response to the future is crying at the future. You look at the future and then you just start sobbing. You know, that's a very realistic possibility as well. I know, uh, I'll tell you a story of a godly woman who, who that was her response to a faith venture here also. Um, I think another thing about facing the future can be a, uh, maybe it's this grin, just this grin. You look at the future and there's just this distant grin. You're thinking about it but you're just not there. You're just not engaged, disconnected from the reality. You're not laughing, not sobbing, just, just trying to disconnect from the whole world. I, I don't know if any of those relate to you, but the point is when you're trusting God, you can, you can smile at the future regardless of what's coming your way. Um, another thing here we can learn from Sarah is that... Um, you know, in order to smile, it came from the fact that she had a peace. She trusted God. She was a woman who trusted God. She put her hope in God. And so she could have a peace when she faced the future. Uh, instead of a panic, instead of the hysteria, instead of the tears, um, she could have a peace. And not only that, there's a beauty that comes with trusting God that Sarah was um, commended for. God said, this woman by the way, uh, has a beauty that, that caught God's attention. He, he mentioned that specifically about her. And so just a snapshot of her... Um, oh yeah, we're going to have to move faster on time. Uh, we got to talk some vision here as well. Um, I was just thinking about a snapshot of how God says, by the way, the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, they, they used to make themselves beautiful this way by trusting God. They, they had a peace and an inner quiet about them. 
And a couple stories from Sarah's life that I was reviewed as, as I was reading through the studying for this. Um, there's two places it mentions about her beauty. Some of you know the, the whole situation of Abraham. You know, he said, uh, one time they went down to Egypt and it said, um, well, I'll just read this part. He says, uh, they're about to enter Egypt. This is chapter 12. Um, he said, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but let you live. So say, say you are my sister, so I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. And so they went on down to Egypt, and sure enough, they asked her, hey, are you with this guy? She said, no, that's my brother. Um, and so they, they took her into the kind of the royal, uh, the royal uh, harem, if you will, back then. And so, um, but, but, you know, Abraham, uh, his wife evidently had a, an attractiveness to her. And, and so he, he knew that going into it. And he said, hey, just tell them this so they don't kill me. You know, it was more of an Abraham plan. But it seemed like there was a beauty to her life. We don't know. I don't know how old she was at that time. And I think it's easy to go, well, she might have been young and just beautiful in the eyes of the world there. But God says there's something about her that was beyond the, the outward appearance. You know, the same story is mentioned one more time, you know. And it's mentioned in, in uh, Genesis chapter 20. And the same thing happens again. A different king, but they go into this territory. And Abraham tells his wife, he says, uh, by the way, you know, you know the routine here. You know the game plan. If they ask you, say, you're, you're my sister. And you know the thing that's funny about this whole thing when it plays out in chapter 20 here is how old is Sarah when it happens this, this next time? If, if you're following, chapter 19 is when, or 18 even, is when it says, hey, the Lord said you're going to have a child. 90 years old here. And then a little bit later, it says they went to this other territory. She's going to this place. She's 90 years old. And Abraham says... Just by the way, they're going to want to take you, you know, to the royal palace again here and, and tell them you're my, you're my sister. Um, so if you're looking at that, you might go, well, she must have just been a 90-year-old knockout. You know, she must have just been drop-dead gorgeous, a real looker at 90 years old. That's a possibility, but that's not what I get out of this. I get that um, she might have had some physical attractiveness, but what the Lord says because of her character, because of her hope in God, she had something that was beyond just the physical appearance. Something that uh, drew attention and that God blessed in, in her. A beauty that was beyond just her physical appearance. And uh, she was a great example of that. And I just want to encourage you moms and, women's and in, women in general that... Um, I think most of us go, yeah, inner beauty. Anyone ever heard anything on inner beauty? Yeah, I get that, inner beauty, right. Okay, now let's get on with, you know, doing the hair and doing the makeup. And, you know, um, but God is real clear here that I think about uh, women just, uh, I'm going to close on this point and we'll, we'll start talking some vision here. But I think about how um, God says, by the way, there's something... It says an unfading beauty in this passage here that a woman can have when she has a, a peace, a trust of God that gives a deep peace, it brings a beauty. This world, when you're born, you know you're born with, you got your parents, like it or not, you're given two parents, they have, you get a gene pool that comes with your parents, you get certain shapes, sizes, and all things that come from your parents there, you get a certain physical complexion and certain everything uh, that you have no control over. And, and in this world, this world says, hey, by the way, we value, we value looks, we value appearance, we value shape. This is what the world values. But God says there's something beyond that. And, and we know that. But there's going to be a day, you know, um, where, where your, your value 
in God's eyes is going to be revealed and it is going to be based on what's going on on the inside of you, what's going on in your heart, your character, your faith. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 just talks about a time where there will be a resurrection and the bodies that you have now will be done away with and you'll be given a new body. A body that's not because of your parents' genes or lack of genes or whatever it was. Um, You're going to be given a body that relates directly to the choices you made in this life, to your character and to your faith. And at that time there's going to be women who went uh, from the front of the line in this world and, and they're going to show up, if they show up in heaven, by trusting Christ. Um, God says there's going to be people at the back of the line there that really got their praise here in this life. And there's going to be women who didn't get their praise from the world in this life that God is going to honor eternally in heaven. And it's true. And there's going to be a day it's going to play out for real. And there's going to be a day where you might go, Oh man, I, I knew that. I heard that. I wish I would have cultivated that in my heart. You know, at First Peter 3 in the Message Bible, it just, it just puts it like this. It says... Um, be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. Um, there are husbands also. Um, there are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. You know, women, I just want to encourage you to cultivate that faith, that trusting of God, that it's going to be noticed and rewarded forever. Uh, things in this life are going to fade. They're going to come and go with, with age and, and all these different things here. But there is an example that Sarah gave us that is a beauty that, that will be eternal, you know, and, and it came from her faith and her trusting God. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Last thing here, um, your faith can unleash the power of heaven at laughable odds. You know, I think the faith of a mom, the faith of a praying mom can unleash God's pads on God's uh, power on things that would be otherwise laughable. Um, Sarah did believe God's promise to her. You know, maybe encourage you, whatever situation you're facing as, as a mom, as a wife, as a, as a dad, as a husband, as a man, as a woman, um, Whatever you're facing, I encourage you to ask God to give you a promise that you can um, trust Him for, that you can hold on to. She held on to a promise that God gave her, and, and I think God would give you one to, to hold on to whatever you're facing. Um, you know, and, and hers, it went on to say, you know, she got this son, they named him Isaac, and it, she went on to say, um, Genesis chapter 21, that uh, uh, others joined her in this laughter of this son that she had, and it was an amazing thing. But I want to just transition real quickly to this idea that your faith can unleash the power, the resources of heaven on things that would be otherwise laughable odds. And, and really that's kind of what we're going to talk about transitioning to um, our, our vision here. We don't have a lot of time. I think we've got 10 minutes, so we're going to fly as fast as we can here. Um, we took a retreat last week, and some of you uh, heard, and it was a, a vision retreat as a church here. And we called it our Acts 1-8 retreat. And we were just asking God, you know, it was some faith ventures as well. And we are just asking God, God, what do you have for us in our Jerusalem, our, our neighborhood, and our Judea, our, our region, and even what do you have for us internationally? Usually as pastors, we look at, um, we look at one year at a time. You know, we get on a retreat and we just go, Lord, we're just doing good to look one year ahead. Let's keep afloat, keep our, our heads up for one more year. And this time we were, we were going, Lord, help us to see further than just surviving for you. What would you have for us? 
And by the time we were done, we really felt like God did meet with us, that we came away with a sense that... Um, you know, like this verse here, we felt like it encapsulated our impression. But what we came away with seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. A, a game plan that was beyond what we normally thought about. We were looking at, you know, John Meyer helped us there, our regional pastor. And he just helped us to ask the question, where do you see yourself in five to ten years? Where do you see your family? Add five to ten years to your kids. And what phase of life are you in? What season are you in? You know, and for me, I started thinking, well, I'm going to go from... Uh, 10, 11, 12-year-olds into the teenage years, ah, you know, and um, college is coming shortly after that and things. And so I started thinking about that in my own life a little more. But we just kind of tried to look farther down the road than we normally look. And, um, and this is where we got to the idea. We took out a map at our time, and we just started putting dots in the map where people come from uh, to meet us here for church, from the north side of town and the south side of town and the middle of town. And we put dots related to um, seasons of life. We talked about those who are either singles or, or married without kids kids, um, and then we put, you know, those were the blue dots, and then we put another set of dots for those who were married with kids, and, and that different season that that represents, making disciples when you have kids is, it looks different than when you don't have kids, when you're married or, or when you're not, even, you're not married as well. And so we started going, well, what, what places are people coming from, and I can't see the map from here, but I hope you keep putting your dots in. We had, uh, then we started going, well, what color dots do we have where? And this neighborhood, as you know, has a lot of, uh, in general, it's a younger neighborhood. It has a number of people that are young married couples, or um, hipsters, or well, maybe the hipsters just bike here because they can't afford to live here, but um, they, um, there's uh, yuppies, people young, urban professional types, and dual incomes, no kids, things like that. And then there's other people some of you in the church, this actually is your neighborhood. You might not even be in that demographic, but, it, but it's your neighborhood, if it's anyone's neighborhood. And then all of us commute here from other locations as well. But we started thinking through... Um, here's another thing we started thinking of. Someone recognized this picture here. This is a picture from nine years ago. This was the Firehouse Church. We had a retreat up in a Estes Park there. You see Long's Peak in the background. This was about twice the size of the church was the year before. The year before, we had about 20 of us. Um, but one of the things I, I draw your attention to in this picture is that out of this whole group of, I think it's 40 to 45 people, uh, there were probably five married couples in the bunch. And in the whole church, five married couples, that, that was the married world. And the kids, there were exactly three kids in our Sunday school ministry. You're looking at them right there, Rory, Graham, and Reeve. Three kids, and now... You, you might not know right now, we get anywhere from 30 to 40 to 50 kids every weekend. And we have a lot more married couples and just a lot more people in general. You know, um, this might look like, you know, this looks like the Miller Small Group here, I think, a little bit. Um, but, but one of the things that's happened over 10 years is that people have gotten married and they had added kids. And to follow Jesus as a single person looks different than when you add kids and when you have teens and then when you, you know, kick them out of the house and you're empty nesters and then when they come back. And those are all just different phases of life that, that look different in following Jesus. And so we want to try to do a better job focusing on each of those phases and trying to figure out, you know, a bunch of these family folks, when you get married and you have kids in this neighborhood, the natural tendency is to, to move somewhere that is uh, more affordable. You can get more space. I even think about my family. We moved from here and, and just even 10 minutes away, we've got more than twice the house for the same price, you know, and 
and the kids continue to grow and, and it's good to have more space here but the general trend is people are here for a season and, and many have a kid or two and go you know a kid in a four-story condo is not as easy as you might think it would be um, and they move to other locations and so anyways we began talking about um, what this might mean for our church Greg I want to have you come up here real quick if you don't mind we'll have Greg talk you through a diagram here. He drew this up for us when we were talking up at our retreat here. I've got a clicker here. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Number two to click through. This is where I get to talk really fast like the railroad machine's got it. I do it all the time. <laughs> okay. No, so we feel like God kind of gave us a diagram. We're up there and I, they just asked me to... Oh, there I am. They asked me to walk through it. So I think... Is it the two button, I think, yeah? The two button. Anyway, can you go to the next one, Dale? Yeah. So we felt like there's a couple models of church churches that exist. So one model that exists is a young church, which kind of from that picture you see, that's kind of where our church started. And that's where kind of your demographic, most of the people there are going to be younger and probably don't have kids. And um, when you do Sunday school, uh, you just say, take the three children over to the other room and parents bring the toys and, and you guys just go over there and, and you deal with it. So go to the next. Part of the deal is you have outreach. Remember, we've been talking about bandwidth quite a bit. <clears throat> and uh, you have a little bit bigger outreach into neighborhoods and into lives and that sort of thing when you're in this phase of life. Um, and the uh, reason why outreach is pointing towards the church instead of away from the church is that that's how you draw people into the church, right? So that's kind of what that is. But there is one problem, we go to the next slide, which is um, what do you do with families? Where do they go? Where do they live? As Rich was talking about, they start to move, they start to change, they have different needs, um, and so you have to adapt. So there's a question mark there. So then we get to the, sort of the next diagram, which is the community church, which is kind of where you have all of those families and all of those kids. Um, and again, we have outreach. It's a little bit smaller because uh, your bandwidth is smaller, um, and you're really using a lot of your time and your effort on discipling kids and raising them up and, and working with them. But then you have a problem, which is your kids grow up, you have young adults, and, and what do you do with them? Where do you send them? How do you plug them in um, as you go along? And so that led us really to the, the diagram of what we think is a really good working church model, which is the next one, where you have this young church, and you send the families into a community, and the community sends the young adults back to the young church. Uh, and so then you continue to have outreach. You continue to be able to build um, into lives and make disciples in whatever phase uh, you're at. But there's this good synergy of things sort of working together. So mm -hmm. I'm going to hand it back to Rich. All right. All right. All right. We'll keep talking fast here. Um, so, you know, and some, uh, some of you might know the model in Fort Collins. They actually have both of these components in their church. There's a college group and there's a, a community side. And it's just kind of this feeding frenzy. You know, you send your kids to college and they go to the rock. And then they, they find someone to get married to. They start having kids. They get in the community again. And there's this vicious cycle. And it's a healthy thing. And the church grows. Um, but what we've found in, in our side is starting off as a young church, uh, you've got to answer the question, like, as a family grows, we've had people that have moved uh, to other parts of the town and just felt like,
like they couldn't continue with us because it was so far away. Then we've had situations where I think about uh, Tim and the Valley View Church that joined us and, and uh, Dennis and Prairie View from the south side of town. That They were more on the, the community side and, and your families grow and your kids grow and you send them to college uh, except for there's no college within like an hour of you. And so the church just continues can grow older while kids are being sent somewhere else. And so we feel like... Um, God would have us to try to make the most of some of these dynamics a little more uh, deliberately than we have in the past here. And so um, we'll keep clicking so that we can make disciples of, of all nations, of all ages, of all demographics here. Uh, again, that looks different in different seasons of life, as we've talked about in a couple weeks ago. But, um, you know, the original idea of the Firehouse Church, one of the reasons we went with that name was... You know, um, when I think of fire stations, when you think of fire stations in Denver, um, the model is not, you know, hey, Denver's such a large city, it has one humongous fire station at the center of town, and if you have a fire in the suburbs, uh, too bad, you should have moved closer to the center of town, because it's going to take us a while to get there. But that's not how fire stations serve neighborhoods. They, they serve each neighborhood with smaller substations all over the place, small enough that they can actually make an impact and be effective in their neighborhood. That's what we thought about the Firehouse Church when we started. We, we trademarked two names with the state of Colorado, the Firehouse Church and Firehouse Number 1. And we thought, you know, Number 1, and then there's going to be Number 2, and Number 3, maybe a Spanish-speaking one, Numero Trace, and, you know, we're going to do all this. Uh, but after a while, we realized it's hard doing outreach, and life is slow, and it takes money, and it takes people. And, and we decided, let's just call the Firehouse Church, drop the Firehouse Number 1 idea here. We think sometimes that must have been what happened to the Baptist Church. You know, they had the first Baptist church and then they just had a hard time getting to the second and the third. I don't know. We should have learned our lesson. But um, anyways, um, but that was the idea. But as we've thought about it, we prayed about it, we really feel like God led us maybe to consider a, a new idea here. And that's the idea of being one church and yet serving three neighborhoods um, and even within the time frame of three years. And so here's some things to think about. Here's where the, the faith that laughable ideas might have to occur. Um, so there's this idea of the, the younger church feeding a community church. And, but the idea we feel like God is leading us in is to consider something like this, to where we have one church, we have a central location right here, it's happening. Um, but that we might start exploring on the north side of town. We've noticed from our dots that there's a number of people that come from Arvada and Westminster and uh, Thornton and Brighton and Henderson and, and north. And we might try to go, you know what, what should we do? Should we bring something that serves that neighborhood a little better, uh, where people don't have to go quite as far, where people can go buy a bigger house and raise their kids. Then there's the, the Firehouse Central location where we are now that has, in general, a younger flair to it. And, and yet there's some that this, this is your neighborhood. Many people, you know, the challenge is that you can't invite your neighbors from 45 minutes away because they're like, what, are you crazy? And, you know, yes, I am, but I'm committed. Um, and, and so then, um, but then when visitors show up here and you come from 45 minutes away, it's like, hi, nice to meet you. I, I can't ever see you again until next week if you come back because you live so far away. I live so far away. So we've had this dynamic that's kind of not as efficient as it could be. But this idea would be, what if we started exploring the north side of town and the central and the south side of town and um, 
We feel like that's something God's leading us into. There's a promise here that we'll get to in a little bit. I don't know if I'll get to it at all. The idea would be still one team of pastors and elders kind of having a teaching circuit. Salt Lake City, our churches out there have a downtown and a community location and a Provo location. And they're all on the same teaching circuit. They visit this one church in multiple locations. We think God might do something like that. One leadership community, different locations, but one central leadership development community. One budget. We'd be tied to kind of one bank account in this all as well. Um, and yet the idea would be to begin developing three church plant teams. A team that would want to plant something up in the north side of town uh, because they live there and that's easier to do or you know that's their world. There, there'd be a team for the south side of town and people thinking about that and we have people commuting from uh, up, up into an hour away, maybe even further than that from the south side of town. Um, but the idea would be to begin developing church plant teams. The other thing that we would say, this church, well, you, you go, we already have a church here. Why do you need a team? Well, it's because a number of people who currently serve in this location would probably become a part of a north or a south location, which means we need to develop a new team of people that might not currently have the opportunity to serve, and that opportunity will be opened up to you here. Um, give me a call. Um, but So those are some things we've been thinking about related to that, a north, a central, a south. You know, um, we're thinking some, some things naturally, Tim, Cavanaugh, and the Valley View Church came from the north side of town, and um, we thought, well, maybe... We're Working with Tim, maybe Brad's a name that's been thrown out as a young couple that could help rally some things in the north. And then uh, centrally, we've been um, thinking a lot about some of the up-and-coming leaders here, but Greg Miller's been assigned a lot of work with the nightlife and really things related to this central location because he's on staff full-time, uh, even though he's, his family is in a different phase of life, season of life. But he can be here to help cultivate the central location, what might occur in the, in the blue dot world, if you will, uh, with, the, with the, you know, the blue dots we're putting up there. South side of town, there, you know, there's Dennis and a team from Parker. And you know, the idea has been thrown out that I might help to spur on some things in the south. And we'd all just be working together, exploring. Maybe instead of some of those guys commuting up here to the central location, some of us would commute to other locations. And... There's some ideas we've thrown out about this summer to begin experimenting, to begin developing. And so we say uh, one church serving three neighborhoods within three years. But the thing that I think it could get a little scary is that what if God has a faster plan than that? What if we start experimenting this summer and uh, we say, hey, next month, by the way, you know, the first Sunday, we're going to have everyone meet here, except for the north side guys are going to meet up there for a Sunday. And then maybe the next time we say, well, actually, everyone meets here except for the South Side crew. Let's have you meet down there in someone's home. Let's start experimenting. Let's start praying and see what happens. I get a sense, I get a fear a little bit that God could cause something to move faster than any one of us might imagine. Um, and, and it could take three years. And it could take three months and we start going, oh my gosh, God is doing something here that we need to respond to. And so... That's the idea that God's laid on our heart. There's a lot of details, a lot of things to talk through. We shared this with our leadership community this week. Really what we're going to do in small groups this week is just uh, encourage you to, to talk in your small group about what are, what are the ramifications. Would you have a, a heart to be a part of one of these church planning teams that might be more your demographic, more your location? Um, or maybe you're here and this is your location. You go, maybe boy, maybe it's time for me to, to raise the bar and take my game up a notch. And, and, but we're going to have those discussions this week in small groups. So I encourage you to be there. Um, and we'll probably even um, 
And I think about the single men's and the single women's small group here. We might even have you guys meet together this week as well to kind of discuss the ramifications together there also, just uh, maybe here at the building as a central location. Being as uh, you guys are blue dot people as well, um, pardon the terminology. We had all we had at the, we had a blue marker. I think we had a black marker and we had a pink marker. So we had blue dots and we had black dots. Um, we decided not to use the pink dots, but um, we tried to translate that here to the board of red dots and blue dots here, and, and representing different phases of life here. But uh, anyways, we're going to need more leaders. We're going to need. Um, more servant leaders, more examples to follow in all these different seasons. We're going to need more faith like Sarah had. Faith where we um, believe God, trust God, and He unleashes his, his power on otherwise laughable odds that we would be facing here. We're going to need, um, we're going to need more resources. We've talked about a, a potential fundraiser come August. As we experiment this summer and see what God's doing, we might, uh, we're planning on maybe circling the wagons and going, guys, it looks like something's happening. We're going to raise some funds, whether it's manpower related, um, church planting funds, equipment related, and we're going to see, you know, Lord, if you're really doing something sooner than later, um, would you show it as a part of this fundraiser? Some things to be thinking about. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. I think one translation says God will respond to the prayer of the desperate. And we think God might put us in some desperate situations. We need more desperate prayer. More humble nobodies like Gideon we talked about last week who pray and obey. Um, we need more, more uh, servants who are like flames of fire. And the last one here is just we need to call upon the Lord. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. And so we just ask you guys to begin praying with us about this. This is the idea we felt like God's put on our heart. Again, it is a potentially a crazy idea. We've, we've kind of just thought one year at a time. We've kind of thought just one church. Let's keep it afloat. Let's grow it. Let's move it around. We get a sense that God would have us to try to multiply some things and to try to raise up some new church planting teams. We get a sense it would require more of you being involved, taking steps of faith, doing things that might scare you um, as you think about them even this morning. But join us in praying about that. Join us in small group this week as we talk about that. Um, and we'll just pray here. Thank you for your extra time this morning, guys. Um, we, we wanted to... Just communicate all this and get you thinking about it at one time and so we don't have too many different side conversations going. We also wanted to keep you here a little longer because just to let the snow accumulate a little more out there. So it should be where it needs to be now. But we'll go ahead and pray. And uh, well, Lord, God, thank you for um, just bringing us together again this morning. God, thank you that for the plans you have for us. Lord, we would often try to put you into our plans and but... You say that you do have plans for us, Lord, and we want to take on your plans for our lives and help us to know what those are. Help us to play our part, to walk in faith, to think outside of the box if we need to. God, this is your church. It's not our church. You're the head of this church, and we are all your servants. We just pray you'd lead us into the things that would glorify you the most. God, we thank you for how good and how gracious you've been to us over the last 10 years, um, even from 20 people and three kids to to 40 people and 3 kids, to over 200 people this Sunday, this past Sunday at Easter, Lord. And um, um, God, we just, we just thank you for what you're doing. We ask you'd get your way with us and you'd be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again, guys, for a little extra time here. Happy Mother's Day to you and have a great rest of your Mother's Day.